0: You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How you guys doing? Y'all rowdy today. It's good. I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. Hey, Halloween's coming up, y'all. Just a couple weeks now. Let me say this: If you're new to the Creek, uh, we 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 do celebrate Halloween around here. No, we're not a devil church, but uh, um, we do uh, Here's what we do with Halloween. See, uh, um. We like to get out in our neighborhoods. We throw block parties called boo bashes, and we want you to do that with your groups and get people out and get to know your neighbors. Grill, bring a grill out and hand out candy, but let me say this. If you're gonna do that, we're gonna give you a box that gives you all the things that you need to to do and set up and signs and all that. You just gotta buy the candy, but if you're gonna do that and represent the creek, y'all, give good candy, okay? I don't play around with that. If you're handing out dots, Don't say you're from the creek, okay? Because when your house gets TP'd, don't ask me to pray for you, okay? You hand out crappy candy, you're going to get TP'd. So give good candy, and that's the way we got to do that around here. And so I'm excited about Halloween. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, they were like, man, so uh, she said, I grew up very legalistic, and uh, never, I mean, we turned the lights off and just huddled in on Halloween, and she said, so we're going to do this this year. And it's kind of a big step for them. And I said, man, I'm proud of you. She goes, my my adult children, and we invited them to be a part of it. And she goes, my son's like, mom, what kind of church are you going to? Is it a cult? And she's like, (laughs) no. Um, But here's what I told her. I said, you know, when I read the word of God, the enemy has no authority in my life other than what I give him. And so I'm not going to give him a night um, and when, the, when I read in the Bible, it doesn't say to turn off my light and shut myself off from the world. It says turn on my light and love my neighbors. And so that's what I'm going to do on Halloween night. I hope you'll join me in that. And it's a great way to be the light and, uh, and, and welcome your neighbor. What other time of year does every kid in your neighborhood come and ring your doorbell? Fundraiser. Fundraisers, that's right. Back to school time, yeah, when it's back to school. Hey, I'm selling cookies. Anyway, if you got your Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, and Exodus chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, we put scripture on the screens so you can see that and follow along. But if you don't own a Bible or you don't have one, we want you to have that. It's uh, on the back cabinets on your way out so you can grab that. At any point during the service, I want you to have the word of God because I don't want you to just take my word from it. I want you reading it. I want you in it. And so uh, uh, we're gonna be in Hebrews 11 and Exodus chapter three. And um, this Hebrews 11 is is the hall of fame of faith. And we've been doing this series called Heroes, and it's really easy to start down a chapter like this and reading through and go, man, these, these people got their stuff together. You know, these are good people. And so Hebrews 11 is not uh, a list of how good people are, but it's how good God is. And, and, and when you read this, it's easy to think, well, no wonder they're listed in the Bible because they got their stuff together. And, and you see a glimpse of the story. And let me just say this about humanity. Nobody has all their stuff together. Okay, nobody if someone tries to tell you they 've got their stuff together, you have my permission to do one of two things: laugh at them or run whatever's most natural for you. My tendency is to laugh. I have the cynical and sarcastic side of me it 's my spiritual gifting, but you know if running from them is your 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 deal, then do that. but nobody has all their stuff together, and we start it 's amazing because we start thinking that if I can get to this level of spirituality, then I'll start doing stuff for God. That's when I'll let God do something in my life. I mean, we read a list of this and go, if I can get to that level of faith, then then I'll do what God's calling me to do. If I can get my finances in order, then I'll I'll start being obedient and doing what God's calling me to do and and give and, and start making an impact in our community. If I can get my family together, then we'll start serving, then we'll start. And so we start putting off all these things until we get some, let me let me just be honest with you. Can I level with you? It's a fake goal. It, it's, it's a goal that doesn't, it, you'll never achieve it because nobody can get it all together. I might for five seconds in my life have everything together and then something else happens. And so as we read this, I don't want us to think, man, these people have an unattainable level of spirituality, an unattainable faith. These are people just like you and I. They they experience the same brokenness, the same doubt, the same struggles. But the difference is they've submitted their life to God. In our life, we see God do great things when we submit. It's not their perfection that releases power in life. It's his power by faith that gets released. But let's look at Moses, because Moses, Moses is considered one of these great leaders. And, and I've been through so many leadership seminars and, you know, blah, 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 leadership, blah, 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 leadership. And I don't want this to be, this isn't a leadership talk, y'all. I want us to look at what Moses has going on in his life, and so we can draw some parallels so that we walk away going, hey, Moses isn't, it's not how great Moses is, it's how great God is working in and through Moses, And so we walk away going, man, God can do some great things in me and through me. But by faith, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. At this time in history... The uh, nation of Israel, the Hebrews, were under captivity in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And the the population of the Hebrews was growing, and the king looked around and decided their population's kind of getting out of hand, and so we need to do this, do you need to do something, because they could realize they got us in numbers, and they could just take us over. So the king sends an edict, kill every child. So Moses' parents ignore this edict. They put Moses in a basket and send him down the Nile. And and then it goes on. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses is in a basket, and uh, a princess of the palace finds him. So she brings Moses in, and Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. And so Moses is in a position of, you think, okay, yeah, he's in favor, and he's in a position where, yeah, of course leadership is going to be natural because he's living in the palace where the leadership of the nation is happening. But Moses says, I, I want to be considered with my own people. Moses realized he was a Hebrew. And so he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. See, when we just read that about Moses, we're like, man, no wonder. No wonder he's listed in the Bible like this. No wonder he's considered in the hall of fame of faith because look, the dude, he seems to have it all together. I mean, by faith, he wasn't afraid of the king. By faith, even though he's in the Pharaoh's house, he said, I'm not gonna live as an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew and this is how I'm gonna be. And so by faith, he could stand up in this. By faith, by faith, by faith. And we start thinking, yeah, his faith is super strong. If I could just have faith like that, then God could do some incredible things through me. But let's go back and just look at who Moses really is. Because he's just like you and I, broken. He's no superhero. The power comes from a great God. See, Moses grows up in the Pharaoh's household. And one day he's out walking around and he sees a, a Hebrew being abused by an Egyptian. The Hebrews were, were enslaved in Egypt, and he sees this abuse going on. He steps in to defend the Hebrew and ends up killing the Egyptian. Now, this man, who was so unafraid of the king after he killed the Egyptian, flees to the desert. He runs and hides because he's in fear of his own life. He's out there for 40 years, y'all. And so while he's out there, God begins to work in Moses. What I find really cool about Moses is uh, he comes upon these women at a well. There are seven daughters of one of the priests of the area The well, and they would come to water their livestock. They would water their camels, but they would get harassed by the shepherds every day. The shepherds would run them off. No, leave us alone. We do our stuff, then you do yours, and they would get harassed day after day. And so one day Moses sees this going on, and he steps in. He stops. He goes, shut it down. Uh-uh. Leave them alone. Let them get the water. Leave them alone. Back off. If you're going to do anything, you're going to deal with me. So the daughters get home early, and the father looks at him. He's like, hey, shouldn't you be being harassed right about now? And they're like, no, this dude showed up, and he he got in the shepherd's face, and he stood up for us, and we were able to get the water and get it all done. And the dad was like, so where is this guy? Sounds like a suitable husband for one of y'all. I'm like, oh, we forgot to invite him to dinner. He goes, get him over for dinner. So he shows up. That's how Moses meets his wife. Moses defends his wife before she's even his wife. So he marries into this family, and he's tending sheep. He's out in the wilderness, and he comes across a very intriguing sight, um, um, a burning bush. And Moses shows up. Now, so (laughs) Moses goes up to the bush. He's a guy, okay, like a moth to a flame, so is a man to a fire. I mean, we, we, men, if we see something on fire, we got to check it out. You, I mean, it just gets us. You you can be in your neighborhood, in your backyard, and you could smell somebody burning something like that's oak <laughs> brisket. He's got four hours left. You might want to wrap it. You know, I mean, just smoke fire. It just brings guys in, and so the, God knows how to draw us in, right? God's like, I'm gonna set this bush on fire. Moses come running around. Moses looking at, us like, it's not burning though. And then the second thought probably is, do I have anything to barbecue? You know, he's looking at the sheep. He's like, hey, you've been giving me trouble lately. So he goes up, and God speaks to Moses. He says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. You're in the presence of God. And he tells Moses, he says, I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. And Moses, look at this, verse 10 of chapter 3 says this. God says to Moses, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. You know what I love about that going on? Moses is questioning God. He's like, who am I? I got nothing. Who am I to do this? And God says, but I'll be with you. It's not your power, Moses. It's my power in you. But what I love about the nature of God and the character of God is he sees beyond the challenge. Moses is seeing the challenge. But God says, hey, Moses, this will be your sign that when you have done this, he didn't say, Moses, if you do this, then you'll worship on this mountain. No, when you have done this. I love that God always sees beyond the challenge. When you have done this. Then Moses said to God, if if, if I come to the people of Israel and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, you would think that in that moment, Moses would be like, I got you, God, I'm with you. But Moses is still arguing with God. You get get into chapter four and Moses actually tells God, he says, but I'm not eloquent. And God says, but I am. Moses ends up telling God, just send somebody else. I am not the guy. And what I find interesting about the exchange between Moses and, and God in this context is that when Moses would say, I am not, you would read it as capital I, lowercase a, lowercase m. When God would say, I am it's capital I, capital A, capital M. I am. I got this. I got you, Moses. And Moses like, look, I can't do this. And God's like, you're right, you can't, but I can through you. He's like, I can't speak well. I'm not, I'm not good with this. Can you send somebody else? And God's like, I will send Aaron to you. I've called you to go to the Pharaoh. I've called you to lead the people out of Israel, out of Egypt, but I'm bringing Aaron alongside of you. And this was in, in Old Testament, you would see this referred to as an armor bearer. And I'm gonna bring somebody alongside of you to watch your blind spots, to be an encourage you, to go into the fight with you. And when I, when I was praying through a change of seasons in my life and got to the point where I felt God saying, yes, I want you to plant a church, I, 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 I can sympathize with Moses. Because I remember the conversations with God. God, I, I'm not that kind of leader. God, I'm, I'm not that kind of, te- I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good leader. I'm, I'm not that faithful, God. I'm not that good. I just, I, and God's like, you're right, you're not, but I am. And when I went to Heather and I said, hey, honey, this is what God's calling us to do. The first thing she said to me, she looked in my eyes and she said, I'm with you, heart and soul. What she was quoting was the words to Jonathan's armor bearer when Jonathan said, let's climb the hill and let's pick a fight against the enemy. Because I knew planting a church is climbing a hill and picking a fight against the enemy. And when she said, I'm with you, heart and soul, I knew I could do it. I can't lead without her. She is my armor bearer. Moses had a staff. It was a rod. It was wood. And God did some incredible things with Moses' staff. I don't have a stick, but I've got a staff that helps me lead. I can't lead without my staff. Just so you know, you have an incredible staff, not not put together by the talent of Matt, but but assembled by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have a staff that loves you that prays for you, that supports you and seeks every opportunity for you to be ministered in a way that you can walk the life that God has called you to walk. God brings people around us to help us lead. And before you shut down and say, I I don't lead anything, I I don't lead at work, I don't lead lead anything, God has called every one of us in his kingdom as a part of the body of Christ, we have a function, and in the family of God, we have a responsibility. Every one of us is called to lead someone. We're called to be a disciple maker. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. How do you make disciples? You got to be a disciple. To be a disciple, you got to become a disciple maker to then make another disciple. You lead someone into the presence of God. You lead someone to salvation. You lead someone to grow in their faith. Every one of us is called to lead. Our context may look a little different, but you may lead in the context of your home. You may lead in the office, in your organization. You may lead a community program. You may lead here at the church, but every one of us has a call to be a leader to the world around us because look, look at it this way. We are born into a broken system. We're born sinful. We're born into captivity. And some God says, I need someone to lead them out of Egypt. And he looks at you and says, the people I've put around you, I want you to lead them out of captivity. Lead them out of the bondage of sin. Lead them out of darkness into light. You do it. But God, who am I to do this? You're nobody, but, but it's the God of the universe asking you to do it. And he says, I'll be with you. Leadership is not easy. But he's called us to do it. He says, I'll give you everything that you need for it. And so Moses begins to lead. He's not perfect. He's got failure. He's got issues, just like every one of us. But he was a man submitted to the power of God. And and, and looking at Moses, there's some some things that I think that we, we can... We can learn from him because if he's a man just like me, see, I want to look at somebody else and go, how do you pursue God the way you do? Will you teach me how you pursue, how you press into the heart of God the way you press into the heart of God? And some things that I see about Moses is this. It's, it's, these, are, these are attributes that drew him into the heart of God that then helped him be a heroic leader. Uh, The first thing about Moses is is he was inquisitive. He asked questions. I mean, he sees the burning bush. He goes to check it out. It's just, that's the nature of men. Yeah, we see some on fire. We want to go check it out. But Moses wanted to know how it works. What's going on? You know, he's getting in and he wants to figure it out. Moses is asking God questions. Who am I? What do I say to them? What do I do? See, to understand, understand our process, leadership is a learning process. It's all about discovery. If you stop asking questions, you stop learning. If you stop asking questions, you stop letting revelation change you. And so we've got to be constantly asking questions and questioning the things around us. How do we do things differently? Why are we doing things this way? Where are we going? I mean, I get around people, I have have mentors, I have pastors that I I meet with that lead ministries much larger than, than the creek. And our, our vision is not to be a ministry of thousands and thousands of people. Our vision is to be a church planning uh, platform where, where thousands and thousands of people can be ministered to by hundreds and hundreds of church plants. But I ask these men that lead these larger ministries, what mistakes did you make when you were our size? Because I want to learn, that's wisdom, right? I want to learn from their mistakes. See, it's not just asking questions. Let me put it this way. It's asking the right questions because we can fire off question after question, but we want to ask the right questions that really get us to a depth of understanding that get us to some some meat of, of what life is, right? I mean, Moses is saying, who am I, God? What I find interesting is when we come into the presence of God and we start questioning our identity, then God starts putting his identity on us. Who am I that I should go do this, God? I am has sent me to you. I mean, the power of God at work in us. I mean, because God, God has an incredible plan. And are you questioning God about his plan? God, what do you want me to say to people? What do you want me to do? I mean, God through Moses is fulfilling a promise. He said, the God of your father, Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham long before this. Abraham was, was 75 years old. He was barren. He and his wife couldn't have kids. And he says, Abraham, come out and look at the stars in the sky. As numerous as these stars are, so are your descendants going to be. And through you, I'm going to build a nation. And that nation is going to be a blessing to all nations of the world. That nation at this point in history is in bondage under slavery in Egypt. And God says, I made a promise to Abraham. And Moses, I'm going to use you to fulfill that promise to Abraham because God does not go back on his promises. Scripture tells us that all the promises in God are yes and amen. And we ask God, who am I to be a part of your plan? He says, you are who I've selected and I am is who is, is in charge of you. And he begins to work in us. We ask those questions. When we start asking those identity questions in the presence of God, it's really humbling because we start to see his bigness, his greatness, his power, his character. And that begins to overshadow ours, even in the face of impossibilities. Think about the impossibilities Moses was facing. I mean, by faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. We think that was an easy thing. I mean, when you just read the Hebrews 11, okay, yeah, Moses has his stuff together. He just walked, he strode into Pharaoh's office right there. And said, Say, uh, Pharaoh, hey, it's me, Moses. Remember me? Um, well, hey, we have really enjoyed our time in Egypt, the Israelites, and, and we've helped you build some things and do some things, plant some things. And uh, you know, Pharaoh, I, just, I think we're, we're going to take off now, okay? Hey, it's been real. It's been fun. See ya. You think it was that easy? Moses goes to Pharaoh, and it's a fight. Pharaoh's like, yeah, you can go. No, you can't. Yeah, you can go. You have the plagues. You know, frogs come in. Pharaoh's like, you make the frogs disappear, y'all can go. Frogs disappear. Pharaoh's like, no, go. It says, by faith, in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses kept the Passover by sprinkling the blood. We just celebrate a communion which happened at Passover when Jesus took the bread and the, the cup of wine and he gave new, new meaning to those two elements. That was a Passover meal. The first Passover was with Moses when he pulls the nation of Israel together and said, hey, hey, tonight, The angel of death is going to pass over, so you need to sacrifice a perfect lamb and you need to take the blood of that spotless lamb and put it on the the header and the post of your door. When the angel passes through Egypt and he sees that blood, if the blood is covering that household, he will pass over it. If it is not, the firstborn dies. See, you and I just celebrated the Passover by the juice in the wafer, because we remember that we don't have to go find a spotless lamb. The perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world gave his life for us on a cross. And it's not our religious duties, it's not our behaviors, it's not our actions, it is the blood and the blood only that washes us and that covers us, not our doorposts, but our entire life, so that we are found in Christ. And Moses, in the challenge of these impossibilities, who am I? Think about the greatest impossibility he faced um, in that story. Every one was more challenging than the other, right? Well, this is a hard place. Well, I've never been here before. Yeah, welcome to leadership. Every new season here at the creek is a place I've never been. I mean, Moses stands up, even in the face of impossibilities, Think about it. They get to the Red Sea. By faith, they walk through the Red Sea as on dry ground. Now, now I, I, I've read this story hundreds of times. I've watched the movie. I mean, most of us have the context of Moses from um, the, the cartoon. Or if you're in my age bracket or older, Charlton, Charlton Heston, you know, let my people go. But I want, I, when I get to heaven, I hope that there's like a history room where I don't go in and I read it, but, but God, because God's this good, where I get to experience it. Because can you imagine the tension in that scene? Remember in school, growing up, this might date me, but in school we had these movie days and movie days wasn't a VCR or DVD, it was the reel to reel, right? You know, the one that, you know, and if you got your hand up quick enough and you've been good, you got to run the projector so you felt like the boss of the class, But in history class, we used to watch this movie, and it was called, You Are There. You remember those? Please. Somebody put a hand up. You remember those? Thank you, man. Don't leave a brother hanging like that. But I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, it can be like a you are there moment, because I want to go and experience the tension of that moment. I mean, think about it. Moses is leading hundreds of thousands, millions of people out of Egypt and, the, and, and so Moses at the front of this line, he's like, man, I don't know how I did this. God, you are so good. That's how I pray a lot of times because I look at what's happening at the creek. I'm like, God, I don't know how this happens, but you're so good. And these people, like, oh, there's people back there. And Moses is walking, and he gets to the Red Sea. He's like, oh, I guess we're stopping. So Moses sees this barrier. Now think about it, because at this point, the Pharaoh has decided he's not letting them leave, and he sends the army after them. He goes, just go kill them. So you've got the tension. You've got this obstacle in front of you that, that to a leader seems impossible. And you've got this army barreling down your backside to come to kill you, which is another seeming impossibility. I mean, can you imagine somebody in the back part of this column? I mean, maybe a hundred thousand people back, going, "Why are we stopping? What's going on up there?" Well, yo, there's a cloud back there, and that is the Egyptians coming to kill us. Go, the light is green. It's in the southbound lane. Stop looking. I mean, they're just, and then all of a sudden, I mean, and at the front of the line, Moses is like. I don't know what to do. I mean, God, you called us out of Egypt. Is this the new land that you promised? Are we supposed to turn around and fight the Egyptians? Is this where we're supposed to settle? Because there's this barrier, there's this obstacle, there's this impossible thing for us to get past. So do we stop here? Isn't it amazing how most people, when they get to an obstacle like that, they start to settle in their faith? and they settle in life and they just settle and settle and settle and when we settle we start making compromises and God's like no 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 this isn't where I called you to stop yeah but how do I get across there you don't let me show you Moses put your staff in the water well that sounds crazy That's, God you're asking me to do something that doesn't make sense but God says I'm still asking you to do it and he puts his staff in can you imagine seeing that? Just the water just like like just God just taking his hands and poof, holding them back. I mean and for the people around Moses, they're probably like, dude, what is in that stick? <laughs> and Moses is like, let's go. <laughs> so they start walking. And you imagine the dude back here, let's. The lights green, go! And oh, we're finally moving again. They start walking. And their eyes, (laughs) Uh, Moses? This really where we're going? And they get across on dry land. When they finish, the Egyptians are in the middle, and God says, I'm not holding the waters back anymore. And they drown by faith all because Moses asked the question, who am I to do what you've called me to do? What do I say? And in the presence of a holy God, it humbles us. See, that's that's a character, Mark, of a great leader, is humility. When God called Moses from the bush, Moses didn't, (laughs) hey, Moses, yeah, God, hey, I'm calling you to lead my people out of Israel. You're right, you are. You got the right guy. I'm a first-round draft pick, God. What are you offering? Not enough. I'm going to Cabo, waiting on my 90 mil. Sorry. Sorry. Too soon? I'm stepping on toes now. Sorry, the last three weeks have been brutal. I got to find something to blame. Now Moses didn't respond in pride. He responded in humility. Who am I? I'm nobody. I don't speak well, God. But if you're going to be with me and you're going to work in me, then I'll do it. Moses, Moses was known as the most humble man on the face of the earth. Numbers chapter 12 says that he was the most meek. He was most humble is what some translations say. Think about it. David, King David, who was a mess, was known as a man after God's own heart. Moses, the most humble man. It's amazing to me because I think we confuse the difference in being humbled and walking in humility. Humility. There's a difference there. Um, None of us really set out to be prideful people, right? It just kind of builds in us. I mean, sometimes the enemy comes in and puffs us up. You know, uh, you don't need God. You got this together. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I'm praying about vision for us as a church right now. I'm in that season where it's God, you know, what's next steps of your vision and, and where, I'm, where I'm settled is this, um, I don't want to do anything that I can explain myself or that our staff can accomplish or that we can accomplish. I believe vision is, God, what, what is something that only you can accomplish in us? And when we get to a point of being able to accomplish some things in our own power, pride starts creeping in. And pride is a very dangerous thing in the face of God. Because God just doesn't say, hey, because of your pride, I'm just going to leave you alone and, and, and you, you do your own thing. You do you, I'll do me because you're prideful. No, no, no. This is what scripture says about pride God opposes the proud. What that means, let me give you a literal understanding of the meaning of God opposing the proud. God says, I am the God of the creation. I am the one who owns everything. I am the one who speaks everything. I hold your life in my hand. I give you breath, and I am the God of the universe. And because of your pride, I have now set myself and all of my resources against you. That is not a place I want to be. And when God comes at us because of our pride, he's going to humble us. If he humbles us and we get back up and we continue walking in pride, God's going to humble us because he loves us too much to leave us prideful. And we keep playing that game. God's like, yo, I got time. I'll keep playing this game. I never sleep. I never tire. Go for it. But there's a difference in being humbled and walking in humility. See, see, being humbled most of the time is not a choice we make. I've seen leaders uh, get, get, get into situations where, 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 let me just set up an example. You got a leader that starts going and they, they start going and they think, I got this together. I've got it figured out. I'm good to go. You never get anything figured out. It's like parenting. Once you think you got it figured out, it changes. It's like marriage. When you think you got it figured out, it changes. That's why we got to keep asking questions, y'all. But so this leader gets in a situation where they get caught—an unethical situation. I've seen pastors lose everything because of of, of one immoral decision. That moment, they're humbled. They got caught. They got humbled. The choice is now to walk in humility. See, an event will humble us, but only the character of God shaping us allows us to walk in humility. See, God desires that in us because that's the character of Jesus. God wants to shape us in the image of Jesus Philippians 2 tells us that that, Paul's writing to the church. He said, look, if we share anything in this journey, if we're a church together, if we're family, then make my joy complete by having the mind of Christ. This mindset that you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. Don't just look to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. That's the mindset of Jesus, This chapter goes on to say, Jesus humbled himself to be a servant and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is the picture of of a servant leader. That's humility. And that's what happens is when we walk in humility, we begin to see other people the way God sees us. We begin to see people with compassion and we begin to place this great value on people. No matter what organization you're leading in, whether that's the family, your friend network, the neighborhood, the community, here at church, no matter where you're leading, the the greatest value is not the product, it's the people. What you produce at work is not the most important thing. It's the people you develop along the way. Break it down to leading in your family, moms, dads. The product of, your, your family is not just about getting dinner on the table. The, the, the purpose of your family is not just getting the kids raised and out of the house. Because let me tell you something, don't wish those days away. It goes like that. Pastor Tammy with, parent, with our children's ministry, she'll bring parents in and she does a teaching Well, she'll have a jar with marbles in it and you start wondering, what's that about? And she says, these marbles represent each week you have with your child until they turn 18. And it is surprising how few marbles are in the jar. Place a great value on your family. Don't elevate your kids to be idols, but value them. Because when you lead them, the greatest thing that you are pouring into them is Is the faith in Jesus Christ when they walk out of your household? How do you see the people you're leading? And you're leading people. You're either leading them farther from or closer to Jesus. And the way that's done is to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus is the model leader, He's humble. He's compassionate. He sees our brokenness. See, to see the brokenness and to be compassionate means to look at at people and go, how do I make their life better? That's why you find Jesus with the broken and the poor and the marginalized, the oppressed. He comes in and says, how do I make your life better? Not how do I give you numbness in your situation? Listen to me. He's come to lead you out of that situation. God's called you to lead people out of the bondage that they find themselves in. It may not be hundreds of thousands, it may not be millions, but you know what? To God, one is just as important. And we do this by faith. By faith, Moses was this leader. By faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our crucified and resurrected Lord, It's the only way that we have this type of character to lead others out of bondage into freedom. The greatest quality of any leader I've ever seen is this, that they're a great follower. Jesus followed his Father's will. He said, everything you hear me speak comes from the mouth of the Father. Everything you see me do comes from the heart of the Father. Jesus was a good follower. That's what makes him our greatest leader. My challenge to you isn't three keys to be a better leader in society. It is this. It is that leaders recognize opportunities around them and they engage. They don't go, I wish somebody would do something about that. God's called you to lead out to say, I'm gonna do something about that. Who am I? I'm nobody. But who is he? He's everything. And by faith, I'm gonna walk in this life and I'm gonna lead as many people as I can closer to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for humility. God, thank you that you love us so much that you won't let us continue on in our pride. That you humble us. And God, I'm praying that right now for those that are being humbled that you give them strength right now and give them such a clarity right now that the decision becomes so clear that from this moment of being humbled, I choose by faith to walk in humility. God, give us eyes to see people with compassion. God, get us to the deep questions with you. Who am I? in the presence of who you are. And we submit to everything you are. We recognize that we are in the presence of God, that you are calling us to lead people out of darkness into light, out of bondage into freedom, out of death and into life. That's not the power of us, that's your power. So we submit to you by faith, And by faith, we ask you to do incredible things. By faith, we ask you when we come to the obstacles that seem impossible, that you have already seen the other side of the, the obstacle. And by faith, we are going to be obedient to do what you've asked us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. We trust you. We don't trust our ability. We submit to you. For your glory and for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at infothecreekfw.com. At